to Mullis Legal's Diversity Dialogue. Mullis Legal is the proud sponsor of the Mullis Legal Award for Diversity as part of the 2017 Property Council Ryder Levitt Bucknell Innovation and Excellence Awards. We are committed to supporting and promoting diversity and inclusion in the legal profession as well as within the industries with which we collaborate. This is why we are holding the Diversity Dialogue. We would also like to give a special thanks to the Property Council of Australia for their support in these podcasts. They have exceptional initiatives to support diversity and inclusion in the property industry. So go check them out at propertycouncil.com.au. Hi, I'm Oscar Bridges and I'm an associate at Moogles Legal. Today, I have Alicia Gleeson from Crown Resorts joining me to gaze into the crystal ball and discuss Australia's future diversity trends. Society's appreciation for the concept and benefits of diversity is evolving. By modern standards, how diverse are we? What will this concept look like in the future? And how can businesses position themselves to champion this concept? Before we begin, let's touch on Alicia's background. She is the Executive General Manager of Human Resources for Crown Resorts, in which role she oversees personnel management and human resources. Crown Resorts is an entertainment group largely focused on the integrated resorts sector. Most notably, Crown owns and operates the Crown Melbourne and Perth Entertainment Complexes. Crown Resorts is a finalist in the Moogles Legal Award for Diversity for more than 250 employees as part of the 2017 Property Council Ryder Levitt Bucknell Innovation and Excellence Awards. Alicia, welcome to the show. Um, before we get into our topic for today, can you tell us a bit about your background and what sparked your interest in diversity? Sure. Uh, look, my background initially after I finished university, I actually joined the public service and worked in employment services for a period of time. Concurrent with that, I was also an army reservist, believe it or not, and worked with the military in a range of roles um, right through for about 15 years. After I was with employment services, I actually moved to the Department of Defence as a civilian and worked particularly in the learning and development area, but also had responsibility for the equity programs then. I then spent a small period of time um, working in a human resources role with a research laboratory, which was very interesting, uh, and completed my MBA and moved to Crown. I've been with Crown for about 16 years. Wow, that is quite a uh, CV. Here we go. <laughs> um, I guess, would you be able to explain your role at Crown? Sure. So I'm the Executive General Manager for Human Resources. In that, I'm responsible for the broad people strategy for Crown Resorts. Um, And one of the particular areas of interest and passion is in our area of of, um, equity and diversity, or diversity and inclusion, rather. Uh, That's probably the area I'm most passionate about. And a lot of that really came with our work in relation to Indigenous employment. We've got a very big program around um, being able to play our part in closing the gap for Indigenous Australia. And that would probably be the area that I'm most enthusiastic and passionate about. Speaking of your Indigenous employment programs, what have the outcomes been? Certainly, since we commenced the program um, with respect to Indigenous employment, we have um, hired over 650 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employees into our resorts. 
which means we're well on the way to our meeting our commitment of 2,000 job opportunities by 2021. We're now focusing very much on developing strong careers for those employees and not simply look at, at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employees as frontline employees in entry-level roles. So we're focusing on um, being able to promote and develop those employees into very senior roles. We have an Indigenous Leaders Program specific for our high potential employees here at Crown and a number of employees are undergoing that program and we've been a foundation member of the um, Emerging Indigenous Excellence Program, which is a program we've been we've just started and launched with our other Elevation Wrap partners, partnering with AGSM School of Management, and completion of that program, and we have one of our employees participating in that, will provide the participants with two credits towards an MBA course. We think it's really important that you see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people right through the organisation at every level, and we're really looking forward to seeing our first. Indigenous executive over the next few years as well. Our program also focuses not just on employment but looking at our procurement practices and we have a commitment with respect to a procurement target from Aboriginal or, or predominantly Aboriginal owned uh, businesses and I think that's really important as well. We work very strongly in with community and support a number of community programs um, in terms of keeping young Aboriginal children at school. Our foundation works with some literacy programs to enable greater literacy and health outcomes. If we consider the latest Closing the Gap report from the Australian Government, it's clear that the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australia is not, is not acceptable and it really is beholden upon everybody to do something with respect to how they can close the gap. Fantastic. And um what other areas of diversity are you uh, working toward? Our, our key um, people strategy is around inclusion and that's about everybody being able to bring their whole selves to work and that's regardless of you know any, any attributes that they, they may or may not have or share with others. Uh, but we do have some areas of clear focus that we have particular action plans about. The first obviously is our Indigenous employment and we have a reconciliation action plan at the Elevate level which is the highest level of Reconciliation Action Plans, or RAP. We also have a very clear commitment with respect to people with disability, and we call our program Crownability because we like to focus on what people are able to do rather than areas that they may not be able to do as well. Um, so we call that Crownability and we have an action plan for that, so a CAP. We also work in the area of gender equity and we are members of the Male Champions of Change and also in WA CEOs for Gender Equity. We have a, a clear program with respect to gender equity as well. And we're also very interested in working and ensuring that we have a very inclusive culture for people of um, LGBTI. And we have a steering group and action plans around that, particularly focused on the Australian Workplace Equality Index as being the way of measuring how effective we are towards um, being an inclusive culture for LGBTI. Fantastic. Thank you for taking us through these policies and programs. Um, could you just uh, explain what the journey for Crown has been in regards to diversity? Look, certainly. I know that for many companies, their journey with diversity started with um, the concept of, of, a, of a gender equitable uh, workplace or representation of women in its broadest sense. We, whilst we've had some programs, you know, like a number of other companies over time that 
focused on inverted commas fixing the women it probably wasn't the area that we really delved into our deepest first rather we concentrated our early efforts in diversity with respect to Indigenous employment. Our then chairman Mr James Packer uh, was one of the first or was the first signatory to the Australian Employment Covenant and at that point in 2009 signed Crown Resorts up to hire uh, 350 Indigenous Australians. Uh, he later at, at a, a public seminar increased that commitment for Crown Resorts to 2,000 job opportunities by 2021. At that point, we became extremely serious about our works with respect to closing the gap and Indigenous employment. And that really started our focus on what we could really do with respect to a diverse workforce. Crown already had a very diverse workforce with respect to culturally and linguistically diverse employees. When we did a survey a number of years ago, we found that we had in excess of 90 different languages spoken just on the, the Crown Melbourne property. And if you walk through the property, even just from a visual sense, you see that people have come from all over the world to come and work here. And if you see our, our customers, you see that that's reflected as well. But we realised that we could actually do a lot more through our employment programs when we focused in on our Indigenous employment and the fact that we have a very strong background in learning and development and that we could actually train people to do roles at Crown that they wouldn't have otherwise thought they could even have access to. So we focus on the fact that we recruit for attitude and we can train for experience. And that really opens employment at Crown up to a whole range of people who might otherwise have been disadvantaged in the workforce. So that's where our journey really started. We then realised, as I said, the impact that we can have on people's lives by providing them with, with a job, providing them with training and ultimately providing them with qualifications when maybe they hadn't succeeded in formal learning in the first instance. And we started to look at what we could do with people with disabilities because we realised that that was another resource that Australia was not using particularly effectively. And that's where the Crown Ability Program came from, is focusing on the abilities that people have that might otherwise be an untapped resource. From there, we realised that the whole concept of inclusion was something that incredibly important to us, that our employees really enjoyed the fact that they could come to work, that they could bring their whole selves to work and that they could achieve and, and you know, have career success. And that's really where the program, or rather our, our focus has, has come from. That's why we now have as our key people strategy, the idea of inclusion or bringing your whole self to work. Fantastic. And um, in terms of broad trends, it's widely accepted that we are all going to live longer and our population will continue to grow. With this in mind, what sort of impact do you see occurring in terms of diversity within the workforce in, in the next 10 years? Certainly, um, we're seeing life expectancy in Australia for most groups of people um, really increasing. And I think you know, the average life expectancy of a, you know, a white Anglo background woman is around 82 now for Australia. We also know that there's quite a concentration on working for longer, be that through economic necessity or because people actually desire to spend more time at work. Um, 
So this means we need to have a strong understanding and competence in intergeneration management and engagement. So diversity and inclusion competence then becomes clearly critical for companies and also emphasises the needs for understanding and competence in a multifaceted view of diversity um, and that people can and do belong to a range of so-called diversity categories. So not only do we have someone of an older or younger generation working together, but they will have a whole lot of other attributes that they bring to the workforce, which is why we need to really understand diversity and inclusion from a very broad perspective. Excellent. Um, so the population is increasing and a big factor in this is immigration. Uh, how has that been factored into Crown's plans? Yeah, look, certainly migration is a key factor in Australia's population growth and it's already having a significant influence on the diversity of our workforce with a greater proportion of people from Asia and the subcontinent or so-called subcontinent now calling Australia home. Um, as I understand in 2015 to 16 of the 189,000 places allocated through Australia's permanent migration program, 21.2% were from India, 15.3% were from China. China and only 10% were from the United Kingdom. Importantly as well, the far majority of these migrants are highly skilled, with over 67% entering Australia's migration program to meet a labour shortage that we need to fill today. So we really need to understand the impacts that that has on actually gaining skills into our workforce. Uh, there's been a lot of um, work and we certainly look at very carefully the idea that statistically we understand people who have what appear to be a non-Anglo surname, for instance, need to make more applications in order to get roles. So we're really looking very carefully to ensure that we, that our recruitment processes don't have any of the, the bias based on names, because in fact people are coming into the country with huge skills, qualifications that can clearly add to, to our competence as a company. Um, and they're obviously able to fill some of the skills shortages that we might already have had. In some ways, we've had the fortunate experience of understanding that um, in terms of chefs, which was an area that we've needed to bring um, people into the country in order to fill the gaps that have been with chefs. Now we have things like MasterChef and some of those are my kitchen rules. Hopefully, you know, that will be partly compensated for with people seeing that as a really good job to take up um, from Australia and, and, and broadly. And look, interestingly, over the next 35 years, it's anticipated that migration is expected to drive employment growth at the same rate that women's participation in the workforce did during the 20th century. And if we think about the impacts and what companies have needed to do to actually understand the effectiveness of that, I think it's something all companies need to be really cognizant of, is how are they going to make the best use of those people coming into the country and how are they going to provide those people with fantastic career opportunities so that they can enjoy the success that, that we've all experienced and appreciated in Australia. So you mentioned uh, unconscious bias in, in employing people. What tools does Crown use to um counteract this in the recruitment process? Look, obviously one of the things that's really important is to actually ensure that anybody involved in a recruitment process, be they a recruitment professional or a HR person or a hiring manager, is that they understand what unconscious bias is. Um, we've certainly done more formalised training with our recruitment specialists 
for our hiring managers, we've found it's just as effective to ensure that they actually understand what unconscious bias is so that they can be aware of it. We've also been cognizant of the idea of removing people's names from CVs when we're doing short lists, and that's something we look at as well, so that we it's impossible to bring that bias into the recruitment by going from a short list. Uh, we're probably fortunate in that we have a very diverse workforce and we've been successful at promoting people from within. So we do have people from a whole range of ethnic backgrounds or cultural backgrounds right through our, our management stream. And I think in a way that helps remove that bias in any case, that people are less likely to look at a particular kind of name and not picture them in a role because we've probably got someone with a very similar name already in a, a management role in that area. So that has helped. But we also are very um, conscious of ensuring that we have good and transparent recruitment processes that focus on somebody's capacity to do the job, that we use some testing that, um, is, that obviously names don't come into, and that we have you know, behaviourally focused interview questions that are assessed um, as clearly as they can be to remove the chance that somebody just simply looks and uses that affinity bias and thinks that person looks like me, sounds like me or went to my school, therefore they must be good at the role. So having really clear trans and transparent processes and we always involve our recruitment, um, our recruitment team in any of those processes as well so that it isn't just up to a single person to make the decision. There's always multiple decision makers. Okay, now if we could focus, I guess, on the theme of today's podcast, what are the diversity trends that you think will start occurring in the next five to ten years? Look, I think we're already seeing companies moving away from that concept that diversity refers to women in the workplace to a broader understanding of the variation of social and cultural identities among people who work together. Most I think that over this period we will still see areas of focus and indeed if the stats concerning women in the workplace are accurate in terms of things such as the pay gap and gender representation in senior roles and on boards are accurate, we'll still be focusing on gender, I think there is a strong move that will strengthen towards looking at the broader area of inclusion. So at Crown, for instance, whilst we have areas in which we focus strong programs, we're strategically committed from a people perspective to the idea that everyone should be able to bring their whole selves to work and that if people can do this and feel safe and are included in doing so, this will drive greater engagement and hence better performance. Uh, flexible work practices are becoming increasingly popular popular, allowing people to work anywhere or choose their work hours. Are flexible working arrangements something the Crown has embraced? Look, certainly, like many contemporary workforces, we also try to provide flexibility to enable people to balance their work commitments with their other commitments, particularly in relation to family. For us, this has a particular challenge in that the majority of our roles are frontline, customer-facing roles that cannot be done remotely and are in a shift work environment. And our work hours predominantly correspond with other people's relaxation time. This clearly impacts the type of flexible arrangements that can be offered to many of our employees. That said, shift work can also be of a benefit to those balancing their other commitments and many people make shift work a positive attribute for them. One example has been we have in our table games area a permanent morning shift which starts at what seems to me to be a terrible time of the morning at, um, at 
two in the morning or four in the morning, depending on when they start, and then they will work through for about an eight-hour shift after that. So for many of us, that sounds appalling. But for a number of people, and we've particularly found women returning to the workforce after having children, this is a really great way of balancing in, if they have a partner, balancing in the care of their children with their partner. In some ways, I can see a positive. They get to skip taking the children to school in the morning, but they are there at the end of the day to pick children up from school and to assist them with homework and any of those things that they might find really important. And they're able to also pursue their career at the same time. So it's one example of where shift work can work really well. We've got approximately 5,000 employees who we would regard as rostered staff. In other words, they work, they work shift work as I said, on site, meeting the needs of the 20 million customers who visit Crown Melbourne every year, coming in around the clock. In order to assist them write their own rosters to a degree, and obviously it's impossible to suit 5,000 people and write a particular roster for every individual, we've introduced what we call shift, shift swap and shift drop and pick up arrangements, where a person can effectively swap their shift with another employee and therefore build a roster that suits them. To make this work with our you know, 5,000 employees, we've actually developed an app for a, you know, a smartphone and they can actually go through that app, drop or swap or pick up another shift in order to meet their needs. It also means that if they're at a time when they would like to pick up some extra shifts and earn some extra money and they've got the ability to do that, they're easily able to pick up those shifts. Then if they have other times where they have family needs or particularly with students when it's coming around to time for exams or something like that, they're able to drop those shifts or simply swap to a time that's better for them. So we've and that enables people to actually um, effectively write their own roster and we're finding that we're having over 20,000 of these shift swaps every month for employees who are adjusting their roster to suit themselves. So that's been one of our most effective ways of actually meeting the need for flexible work but the fact that the work needs to be done here on site and at times that suits the customer. It's fantastic. Flexibility helps the employees and the employer. Exactly, yeah. On the topic of the use of technologies in the workforce, it is something of a cliche that older employees are not adaptable to new technologies. This has a negative impact on their employability given the unprecedented levels of technological advancement. This is one of the main barriers to age diversity. What is your view on the technological divides among different generations in a workforce? Um, I guess we're not a technology heavy we're customer facing, well, so we're yeah. not actually technology heavy. That's true. Um, so we don't have some of the same issues that perhaps other companies have, I don't know, um, with respect to people adjusting to new technologies. Mm. We certainly don't experience any difficulties, yeah. um, and I, I don't observe any difficulties or that any older employees are finding it more difficult to pick up on, on new technologies. That's actually not our experience at all, um, we find that having a good range and, and diversity in terms of age is a benefit to the company in any case because it brings you know, a range of experience. And the reality is a number of our customers are all sorts of ages. And for some of them, they would like to see people that they can identify with. But from a technology perspective, we haven't experienced difficulty in either age understanding how to work with new technologies. Another very interesting diversity topic is gender diversity. Nowadays we have more terms to describe those that personally consider themselves outside the gender binary of male and female. For example, an agender, i.e. a person who does not have a specific gender, a transgender, and a person who is gender fluid. 
What do you think workplaces can do to address these gender diversity matters? So I've already mentioned our LGBTI networks and one of the areas this encompasses are those who identify outside the very traditional binary sense of male and female. And again, the concept of inclusion and ensuring people can bring their whole selves to work is very important. Ultimately, the key is about a positive and supportive workplace culture. In my experience, people become very focused at times when, for instance, a person may be transitioning in their gender on which bathroom should be used or which uniform should be worn, when in reality, these should not be blown out of proportion. We prefer to follow the lead of the individual in question and enable them to make these decisions when it's appropriate for their situation. There's no one size fits all. Everyone's experience is unique. What is important is that the person feels supported as they make these decisions and that there is appropriate training and communication to enable such a decision to become into effect seamlessly. Working directly with the person in respect to these matters enables everyone to plan an approach to ensure all the right support mechanisms are appropriately in place. It is important that companies embrace a culture where these decisions are supported and that there are clear policies in place that people can refer to if there's any pushback in some areas and that these policies are explicit as to people's rights. Alicia, thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much. It's been deadly. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Diversity Dialogue. We hope that you enjoyed hearing Alicia's perspectives on the future of diversity and inclusion in Australia. It was certainly fantastic to see that Crown is so committed to creating and promoting an environment of equity and diversity through its corporate culture, selection processes, recruitment, training and development, and succession planning and management. Links to anything that we've talked about or referred to in this podcast will be available on our website at www.moolislegal.com diversity hyphen two. Also, please like and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search Moolis Legal. This is the final of this series of podcasts. The winner of the Moolis Legal Award for Diversity for more than 250 employees will be announced on 5 May 2017. Good luck to all the contenders and thank you for listening.